Welcome to the Freelancer Podcast. My name is Kyle Prinsloo and in this podcast, I talk about freelancing nuggets without the fluff to help you become a better freelancer. Greetings, everyone. I'm so excited about this interview and this chat with Jesse. He's someone I've been wanting to chat to for quite a while now. And with that, without further ado, uh, Jesse Showalter, he's a designer and educator. That is my summary of him, <laughs> um, based on what he told me. <laughs> but uh, um, I'll let you um, intro yourself, Jesse. Let's start with that. Um, uh, just a quick intro in terms of who you are and what you do. Sure, Kyle. Yeah, stoked to be here on the podcast. Um, yeah, my name is Jesse Showalter. Uh, I've been in the design industry for a little bit over 16 years. Uh, started in the print world, moved my way into like web design, front end development. And now I kind of focus and specialize as a designer, um, kind of doing a lot of consulting and also hands-on design design and digital product design for startups and Fortune 500 companies. I'm also a design educator. So I have a YouTube channel with over 300,000 subscribers and I have a design community. So now my goal is really to try to equip, train and encourage um, other designers as they're coming into the industry to get their foot in the door, grab that first freelance client, get that first job and start making, you know, really a, a career for themselves that they love and enjoy. Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, I'd like to, uh, I think you summed up like, um, you know, your journey uh, quite well. Uh, I think that's probably one of the best intros, um, you know, I've heard. Um, uh, <laughs> so um, I think I think what I want to press on, um, because a lot of guys listening to this, um, you know, they are maybe starting out or struggling and then they hear you, they hear me and they're like, man, you know, like, what are these guys doing differently type thing? So it's like, um, maybe maybe you can just briefly touch on, um, yes, you touch on, you know, um, I did this, I did this, and then moved on to the print and then freelancing and all that. Maybe you can touch on, you know, the challenges, you know, and how you overcame those challenges. Let's start there. Yeah, I would say that uh, there's probably a lot of people that have an answer to this question, which is they like they had like a lot of self assessment, they reached out and found mentorship. I would say that mine was for years, a lot of clumsily like stumbling along and just learning through mistakes. So I'm I am not a big fan of learning by mistakes, but unfortunately, that's the way that my hard head works. So, um, you know, like the first freelance client I ever had the project. Um, you know, it ran, it was like a single website um, and it ran like three or four months. And I think I built the entire website for like $500 and I didn't know <laughs> how to do client management. I didn't know how to price things. I didn't know how to, you know, send a budget or contract or any of that stuff along. So I was just doing my best and, and really making a lot of errors and failures along the way. There was, you know, for me, a huge part of my experience uh, where I was able to get around other people, people who were smarter than me, further along down the road from me, whether it was in freelancing, any sort of creative endeavor, like a tool to use, whatever it is, getting around people like that has helped me quite a bit. I've had some of that in my life, but a lot of it was just throwing exceptional amount of man hours and energy at something um, to try to gain some form of mastery, not even mastery, just getting a handle on it. So that's been a lot of my learning and growing experience. The challenges for me were... Um, you know, it's hard to find people to help you. Uh, you know, when I started out, that was like 16 years ago, there wasn't a lot of helpful podcasts like this one or YouTube channels, or, you know, it was really just word of mouth. It was finding somebody and then just trying stuff. So that was a huge barrier to entry for me. Um, and I, I would like to say that 
you know, with technology and how time has like grown, oh, it makes things so much easier to learn and get into. But I think what I've found is, and and why I think my YouTube channel and anything that I try to in any way try to educate, help people, um, I've realized that barrier to entry is not just the technical, it's not just the knowledge, um, but a lot of times it is the perception and mentality piece, which says, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do it, so I'm going to give up. Um, I'm not good enough. I'm not far along like that person. I must not be able. Um, so I suffered from a lot of this perfectionist mentality, a lot of imposter syndrome. So I really, I try to talk, mentor, and teach around that a lot because I think if somebody like me who struggled so hard and had to throw tons of man hours behind it and just fumble my way along until I started to kind of get it, I think that if people could get through that imposter syndrome and that perception, they would have a huge leg up and a huge fast forward. So that was a huge hindrance for me uh, that I had to overcome. And I think that a lot of people probably have a similar thing and it's very possible for them to overcome those perceptions and mentalities. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I mean, um, look, I mean, I, I'm sure in, in your discussions with helping others, um, uh, you, you've got a community, uh, design champs or something, maybe you can also briefly touch yeah. on that. Um, uh, do you notice that uh, imposter syndrome is actually a big thing? And um, if yes, what are some things that you suggest to them to actually overcome that? Yeah. Um, so I do have a community called Design Champions. Uh, my Design Champs community is we're coming on 100 plus people and I'm encouraging constantly people can come in and check it out for free, three day free trial. But the big thing for me is like when they get in, um, the reason I started a community was more than anything, when you are side by side with other people and you realize you're not the only one having the same issue. All of a sudden, it breaks down those walls of imposter syndrome and perfectionism because you can look to your left and right and say, oh, I thought I was the only one that didn't get this. I thought that I was the mm-hmm. only one that didn't understand or is struggling to get past whatever this you know, ceiling is of finances that I can make or revenue that I can bring in from my freelance business. I thought I was the only one struggling. When that happens, there's an empowerment that takes place there. And so I think that what I've my experience has been, if you can just get people in a, a place of clarity, not the place where they're believing you know, the lies that they tell themselves or they're looking at, Instagram versions of success and saying, well, I must, I'll I'll never get there. I can't be like that. If you just get them in a moment of clarity and actually have them to you, the things that they're thinking, and then say it back to them, they go, God, that sounds kind of foolish, doesn't it? Of course (laughs) I, right. If they just get alone and just realize like, Hey, you have the skills, you have the abilities. We can train these certain perceptions and things up uh, and on a few things, there's an empowerment that takes place. So I love community for that. I think that helps a very big way. I think um, I'm a really big person, a really big um, fan of learning by doing and taking action. I think you can only take so many courses. I think you can only listen to so many episodes of a podcast or watch so many YouTube videos and just kind of nod along and say that that's a good idea before you actually have to get your hands dirty, get in there and try and probably fail a little bit. So my big, you know, I I think because it's so visual, I use YouTube as a metaphor for a lot. Um, I've mentored people on starting their YouTube channels as creatives as well. And the thing I always, you need to make your first 10 or 15 bad videos as fast as possible because they're going to be bad because you've never done this before. You don't know how to look at the camera, talk to the camera, all this stuff. You don't know all that, all those things, but you need to get through that first 10 or 15 bad ones to start actually making a few good ones. And, you know, I've had plenty of people say, oh, I made one, but deleted it. I go, well, you're never going to get anywhere. You have to be able to get through like 
you got to fall a few times before you can enjoy that freedom and joy of riding a bike. It's the same thing for anything. So my encouragement is for people to fail forward, to fail fast, like an entrepreneur, learn things quickly, pivot and change where needed, and then just do that in some sort of place where you realize you're not alone. You're not dumb. You're not the only one. So those are like, for me, I'm real big on those, those efforts. Mm. Yeah. I can, I can tell this is going to be a spicy conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and I love that perspective. Um, I think it's an underrated one because a lot of people, even when they get clients, you know, the first client they try and they struggle and it's like, ah, this is not for me, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, people can justify it for YouTube videos, for design, for pretty much everything. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. So, um, I think you've shared a good perspective on on the mindset and imposter syndrome, which is actually a massive um, stumbling block. Um, so, so we've dealt with that. I want to touch on uh, the skills, right? So, um, yeah. in my mind, I, I think there's two skills. There's obviously the practical skills, let's say designing or making websites or whatever you're going to sell. And then there's the other skills of, you know, maybe like um, soft skills or dealing with clients or whatever. So um, it's a broad question, but but maybe we can start with, um, you know, the fundamentals of design or making websites. Any general tips on where people can get started in order to make effective websites or designs? Yeah, um, I think if you are wanting to get in and maybe we're talking about like absolutely zero experience, I really want to start making websites. I want to start selling those as a service. Um, I, I think that it's a lot of people jump immediately to the very top shelf of skills, which is I need to design everything from scratch, develop everything or code everything from scratch, and that will make me successful. And I actually, so for me, when I think about anything that's a service-based industry or business that you're running, freelance, call it web design, web development, freelance illustrator, I don't care what you're doing. Like you said, there is the technical aspect of it, learning how to do something and doing it well. But then there's also, there's always, you can't get away from it. We are a service-based industry. There's a business aspect to it as well. So call it soft skills, call it business skills. It's just thinking about things in a logical, rational, business-minded way. If you were, I, and I say this all the time, there are so many designers, thousands, millions of designers, I'm sure, that can design circles around me. <laughs> My real skill is not being a top tier, number one, you know, 5,000 likes and comments on every single dribble post I put out there. I'm just not that guy. I've never won an award. I don't care about it. It's not me. But what I really want to do is elevate my business skills so that I can communicate well. I can identify problems and problem solve well. I can sell well, right? And I can care for clients well so that they, at the end of the day, love their right? And the website is going to be good because I've put the time in. So it's technical skills, yes, but it's also those business that matters so much. If you, so back to your question, if you want to start selling websites, making websites, creating websites, don't go to that top shelf level of technical. I need to code. I need to design everything from scratch. Utilize whatever you can, leverage whatever you can to make them look good, you know, all of those things. So I would say, you know, down like an easy to use tool like Figma is going to be a great start. Downloading a $30, $40 template pack that has wireframes in it, using something like the Reloom library, which is a great tool right now if you want to use things inside of Webflow, another great tool. Leverage the tools, right, that will help you create fast and effectively, and then spend more time growing your business, developing your, your ability to sell those products, right? Like there's a market for everything. 
There's a market for, you know, in the US, there's a market for $40,000 homes in certain areas, and there's a market for $2 million homes, right? Both of those are going to sell in their respective markets. You just have to sell them in a different way. The real estate agent has to go about it in a different way. So I think at the end of the day, you don't want to just be a designer. You also need to be the business person as well. I think this goes hand in hand. This is the same thing if you want to work full time, let's say not just freelance, but you do want to work full time. The skills matter, but the soft skills of being able to talk through your work, communicate your work, problem solve, those things are huge in an interview. And they can actually outshine maybe your lack of portfolio to a freelance client or to a hiring manager. So I think it's a balance there. And I think you should leverage whatever tools you can in the process of growing both of those skill sets. Hmm. Yeah, I love how you I love how you explain that. Um, so uh, a common rebuttal, um, someone might say to that. So first of all, I agree with you, but uh, I want to put you on the spot. They I say love I love rebuttals. They say, Jesse, that sounds amazing but it feels like I'm cheating if I use a theme or if I use a no-code tool and I create the website and it's done in a day. It doesn't feel right because then I need to charge the client, you know, two hours of work. Uh, right. What do you say to that? Yeah, I think, again, that's back to a mentality thing because um, if you are, let's say, a painter, right, and somebody says to you, hey, painter, I can do that same thing in AI. I put in a text-based prompt, I click generate, and then I post it online and I sell it for millions of dollars. You go, well, that's cheating. I spent all this time and effort and energy. And maybe it is, but maybe that person's just smarter than you, right? And maybe that person has relinquished pride as well. There is a, a reasonable amount of pride we should have in our work, but I would recommend shifting the pride away from my own personal technical abilities so that I can impress other designers on Dribble and shift it more towards how can I satisfy clients and how can I actually solve their problems? So I would much rather be known as the guy who can assess budget to help increase their revenue or traffic or leads or monthly active users versus be really, really good at utilizing a certain color palette typography or tool. I don't care about tools. I don't care about typography. They're nothing more than a vehicle to do what I really care about, which is solving people's problems because that's where I've put my value. I've staked my claim and my value over here, not on the pretty, not on the the technical, not even on my gifts or abilities <laughs> over here. I want to lay all of my value on the value I bring to other people. So I would say for me, I would encourage people if they have that rebuttal, I'd say drop your pride and learn how to service people. And if you don't want to do that, then you may be better suited for the art world, not necessarily the design world. Because artists get to take all the time they want, painting soup <laughs> cans or, or splattering paint however they want. And they get to do that at their own pace for their own purposes and pride. But as a, in a service-based industry, we have to be more about the client and the service we provide them than our, than our egos and our dribble portfolios. <laughs> yeah 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 i like that uh <laughs> i like that it actually reminds me of um of the analogy that i use about um paint uh, um, as you brought it up i'll just briefly say it yeah. so um uh it's it's almost like uh, um one guy gives you a quote um to paint your room and he charges three thousand dollars another guy comes in he charges three thousand dollars the difference between the two is uh, um you know guy number a he takes three days Guy B, he takes three hours because he uses a spray spray gun versus the guy doing. Right. So now it's like, must he get penalized for that? Or right. is that a benefit to you as well? Because it saves you a lot of time and, you know, all, yeah. all, all, all these other benefits. So 
um, yeah, I just wanted to add that on, onto your paint. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, no, that's beautifully said because I think if, if there, if there, and again, right, different markets, right? The two twenty thousand dollar house, the $2 million house, like there is a market for somebody that says, I want my house hand painted. I want to know that it was hand painted and I don't care the time. There's a market for that. And there's a place for you to actually service clients that way. But I would recommend that you then charge a higher premium price because of the energy you're putting into it. Whereas if somebody can come along and use AI or a paint spray or whatever and reduce their cost, but still charge the right amount, I just feel bad for the, the person who's making custom tailored suits at the same price <laughs> that men's warehouse is selling, selling them right off the rack, right? I feel mm -hmm. bad. You should be selling them for more and you should be marketing to a different target audience who wants that type of custom experience. That's where people really get mismatched. I, I say, if you want to charge $3,000 for three days of work, be all more power to you. But if this person can do it for $3,000 in three hours, I say they've just found a way to do it smart. That's their way of doing it. Yeah. And I, I just, I feel bad for the person who is, especially with AI coming out right now, it sounds like you're a fan of stories and metaphors. I'm always <laughs> a big fan of stories and metaphors as well. And there's an old classic American tale of a man named John Henry during the time of the steam invention of the steam engine. And that story basically sums up to he could lay down railroad faster than any other man alive because he was so big. And he challenged the steam engine to see who could do it faster. And it's a really mm -hmm. sad tale because he ends up exhausting himself and dying and the steam engine mm -hmm. beats. Henry would have been so much better if he would have come together and leveraged the technology. What could have he done with his ability, his knowledge, his experience? If he would have leveraged the technology of the steam engine, he could have built five times as much track, right? So mm. stop yeah. trying to compete with these tools that benefit you and instead get on board with them, leverage them. Otherwise, you're going to become a dinosaur. You're going to kill yourself trying to keep up the pace. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And and now that you brought up um, AI, I'm curious to know your your perspective, right? Like um, a lot of uh, a lot of designers, a lot of freelancers are thinking about it. Um, they've seen the progression, you know, ChatGPT, Majorney. Dolly, everything else. Um, what are your thoughts about AI in general and how it will impact, uh, you know, this industry? Yeah, I'm, uh, it probably, I'll just say right out, like out of the gate, I have, I'm a very positive person. I'm not very <laughs> pessimistic. I see AI as nothing but a benefit for right now, like at least right now, until it becomes the plot of the Terminator series and it takes <laughs> over the world. But until then, <laughs> It seems like nothing to be afraid of, something to only be excited about, something that right now at least is reducing the amount of tedious work that I have to do, right? So, um, and I'll say it from a couple of different perspectives. As a designer, um, I can now generate concepts and ideas for clients within a few minutes, right? Versus spending an entire day gathering and like concepting, creating mood boards. I can do what I used to do in a day in a few minutes, right? Um, in no code tools like Webflow, it used to take me three or four weeks to hand code a website. I can now do it in one day. Um, you know, so any tool that you can leverage is great. I, and I'll, so from a creative perspective, I think that all it can do is benefit you right now to eliminate the mundane tasks, the repetitive tasks that you don't want to do. As a business owner, it is really, really beneficial. And I'll, I, I think I have a kind of a unique perspective because I, I just recently, as a business owner who runs a content business, an education business, and a design business, I actually just replaced my first employee with AI. I had somebody hired for a couple hours a month to take my long form content and clip it down to short form content to post onto Instagram reels and YouTube shorts and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. And I was paying him however much, a couple hundred bucks, 500 bucks a month to do it. 
And I found a, an AI tool that could do it for $20 a month. Now I had to let him go because as a business owner, it just doesn't make sense for me to keep that overhead and keep that cost when I can have a tool that's doing it just as well, super seamless and processing it even better maybe. Um, so I back to that original or that, that previous conversation, I think that if you don't move with the times and leverage them in a different way and change your business model, he, he lost his role with me uh, as a creative or as somebody who was producing content for me because I, I could find a better way to do it. It was more efficient. It was easier. I didn't have to deal with another person. So that's a repetitive task. I'm not going to go in. I don't have the time to go in and take long clips and clip them down to 50 second clips. I just don't have time. But I know there's value there for my business. So I see it from both sides. As a creative, I see all the benefits for me as long as I leverage it the right way. As a business owner, I do think at times it could be a threat to creative service providers if they're not remarketing themselves or leveraging tools. So I that's mm. I, ho I hope that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um and I actually agree. Um I actually agree. Um definitely definitely in the short term if you if you're not using it or you know adapting with it, I think you will be left behind. Um uh, it's just a sad reality. Um you know yeah. but um yeah it's it's amazing but, tools but that on that note sorry let me just say yeah. one more thing about that. On that note, like there's no way that I'm outsourcing like my creative consulting to fortune 500 companies right now to AI, mm. because it's not going to deliver the type of creative thinking at this point that I need it to, to actually service those clients. So I can't say, Hey, AI, I have a really complex, I've tried it. I've played with yeah. it. Hey, chat GPT, yeah. I need a flow for this company for <laughs> this purpose. And it gives me a very generic thing. It gives me very like undetailed kind of like flows and problem solving. And it's, if I have a unique problem, it's not going to help me find that unique solution right now. It's just going to mimic what it's seen elsewhere. And that's not what I need. They're hiring me and paying me my rate for my creativity, my problem solving. And that's something, at least for now, that AI mm -hmm. is not capable of doing is yeah. going off the rails, thinking outside the box, breaking outside of a 12 column grid and breaking a design rule. It's not going to do that. It's saying, let's stick within the framework of what we know to be successful. Sometimes success is outside of the box. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that, and and yeah, I think um, uh, uh, I like what you said. Like at least at least not for now, you know, because I mean we don't know what the future holds. It, things could change five years from now, but you know, um, it's about trying to utilize what we have um, and make the most of it, um, and adapt uh, accordingly. I don't know if you re if you read the book Who Moves My Cheese. Ah, I love that book. That's absolutely that's a book to live by, right? Like <laughs> I I have it somewhere on my bookshelf back there. Yeah. It, yeah. That's the book you can read, you know, in, in 30 minutes, if you buzz through yeah. it and it'll change yeah. your life for the duration of your life, which is stop sticking around and waiting for the market, the move, the technology or everything to come back. You know, I had a friend like this one time who, when I first started learning how to develop websites and, and build websites, that was 2009 or hmm. 2008 or something. And it was like, we were still designing in Dreamweaver and launching websites like that. <laughs> And he just did not want to let go of it. And I went, man, we've moved past that. We got to move to like semantic code. We got to move to these things. And he was like, no, I'll never do it. And he became a dinosaur and nobody, he just stopped getting work because mm. he wouldn't change. So instead of waiting for everyone to come back to you to this archaic method or thing that's no longer relevant, you have to move to where the cheese, quote unquote, you have to move where the market moves. You have to move what your users and clients really eventually like what they need from you. It's, it's just not there anymore. So move on.
Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, listen, do we uh, are we out of time, or do you still have ten minutes? Oh, I got time. We can keep going for a okay. little longer. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, I just want to touch on basically two more things. Um, okay. So, um, uh, w- one video which I found uh, interesting of yours. Well, actually, I mean, you've got a lot of uh, very good content, but but one that stands out is is actually one of your most popular videos, and that is sixty thirty ten color rule. And um, I think the reason why I want to bring this up and why I want to uh, just hear your thoughts on it to summarize it is um, most websites I see suck, okay? And 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 <laughs> and, and and yes, there's a lot of padding issue, white space, you know, layout, yeah. all this type of stuff. Yes, but underrated is color. <laughs> right. Um, and 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 maybe maybe you can just explain like um, uh, first of all what that uh, video covers and the importance sure. of the content. Yeah, it's actually really easy. I mean, I, I would agree with you. There's a lot of things that you look at a lot of websites, they do suck um, and they could all benefit from some of those basic design principles, right? Whether it's spacing, padding, proximity, scale, all those things can come into play. But one of them that is highly abused or underused or un- not understood is color. And so that's why there is this kind of general guideline called the 60-30-10 rule. The idea is, you know, you have, you know, think of a progress bar of 100% that represents your color palette. Where, where do, how much of our primary color, that bright, vibrant color, that neutral color, how much of it do you use to make your designs look a little bit more mature, a little bit more classy, a little bit more put together? Um, you'll notice that a lot of new designers go very, very like hard on the color, right? Because they think that everything needs to stand out. Everything needs to shout. It's a little too boring. So they're out, they're over-designing. So the 6030 uh, 10 rule really just says, and it's not a rule, you can break this rule, it's really a guideline, but this guideline really kind of states that 60% of your site or your project or design should really be that more of your neutral color. So, I mean, if we're thinking about a website, it's the majority of it should be light, or if it's a dark website, dark, but let's just say white, white, neutral, gray, whatever it is, it should be calm. Um, 30% of it should be some color. It's okay that you can bring some color into certain areas, so I'm thinking off the top of my head, like a hero kind of like homepage area, you know, um, 60% of it's going to be probably that background with like maybe standard like white or, or excuse me, black text on it. 30% of it can have some explorer, but you want to reserve 10%. That's your, that's your primary color. That's your actionable color, right? Click me, touch me, tap me, drag on me, interact with me. We want to reserve that. And so again, how do you scale this? How do I know what 60 and 30 and 10 that's why it's a general rule of thumb. It just says, look at it at scale and just say, am I overusing my color here? Because the really it boils down to this. If everything is on fire, then nothing is on fire. If everything is important, then nothing is important. So really the most important piece is reserving that 10% for your call to action, your primary color, and being very reserved with it so that the user doesn't ultimately get fatigue. So when I say this is important, you should click this thing. They go, oh my gosh, this is important. They only use this color. Subconsciously, any user untrained, right? Untrained in design knows that's the color that represents, right? Back in the day, it used to be hypertext or hyperlink blue. That's the color I click, right? (laughs) And now we have more exploration with it, but that's really it. It's just a nice guideline that says, neutralize your design a little bit, right? Introduce a little bit of color, that secondary color that you can play with and use, but reserve that last 10% be very specific where you use it and how you use it hmm. yeah um i think uh finally uh, 
there's no more excuses for bad websites uh, after that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that with, you know, like the amount of education that's out there, right? And if you just take that education, put it into play, and like we've said, leverage a lot of these tools, you can start building beautiful websites. You can start building beautiful applications. And if you if you feel like you're not quite there yet, then I just say, to hell with it. Just copy for now, right? Mm -hmm. In Austin Kleon's famous book, Steal Like an Artist, he would say like the way you start learning is to copy, but the smart person figures out the who they're copying. Who did they copy? Who are they inspired by? Who are they influenced by? So you dig deeper. Where does this, you know, why does this left aligned layout like work so well? well I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and figure out, oh, most cultures read left to right. Oh, why is this you know, measure of my typography, not super wide. Why, why do I see it like this wide everywhere? No more than five or 600 pixels. I'm going to look and I'm going to do some research. Oh, it's because it's more legible. So as you copy, you dig deeper, you go a couple steps deeper and figure out why that person was influenced. And then it starts changing your perception a little bit. So back to that perception thing. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's naughty. Uh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, uh, Without clients, uh, you don't have a business. You have a you have a hobby, you know. So yeah. um, I'm curious to know um, from your side. Obviously, there's like fifty seven thousand different ways of getting clients, but like, what are your yeah. top one or two ways um, for freelancers struggling or beginners or whatever who just can't break through? You know, let's say the thousand dollar a month mark, or maybe they're just struggling to get their first few clients or actually keep it consistent or move from side to full-time income, you know, they need more clients. So it's like um, your top two ways uh, that you can recommend. Yeah. Um, wow. I wish I had all the time in the world. Um, I would say actually number one is clarity um, and general, um, but let me break it down a little bit more. I think you have to have clarity in your messaging. You have to have clarity of the type of value you bring. You have to have clarity of the type of work and clients you want to work with, the type of if you can clarify your messaging um, and what type of value in the process, the more clarity you can bring to it, the absolute better it's going to be, right? Um, the more, the more enticing you are as a service provider. And um, you know, you could say like fit fitting within the cat, like maybe a tactic would be niching down, like niching down, however you want to say that word. It's just getting more specific. So you can be a generalist, you can be a jack of all trades if you want to, but if you would narrow your skill set and your services that you offer a little bit more, you're going to immediately rise more into the limelight for people looking for that type of service. So I would say clarity, which could include, you know, like targeting your audience, niching down and communicating your value more. To me, that's probably one of the easiest, lowest hanging fruits that people can fix instantly. So if someone's listening or watching this podcast right now, um, you should assess your portfolio and your current website and figure out what your messaging says, who you're targeting, and does the work and the process actually speak to that specific client or type of project that you're looking for? If it does, you can package all that together and people can get a feel of you clearly within three to five seconds. You're going to have a much better uh, easier time selling your services because of the clarity that you've brought to it. Um, I think number two is, and again, I'm I'm all, I'm introducing like big buckets and there's little nuances within them, but I think the other one is just quality of service. Um, I think that if you treat a thousand dollar client like a twenty thousand dollar client, um, that doesn't mean 
you're bending over backwards and doing $20,000 of work for them, but you treat them with a clear, consistent process. You treat them with respect and you do good work for them. I think that will always snowball, right? In a service-based industry, everyone is going to have, thinks they have some sort of hack, social media ads, this or that, but like you just can't get away from the fact that if you have crappy service and don't treat customers well and service their projects well, A, they're never coming back as a return client. B, they're never never going to give you that holy grail of referral to other people. They're never going to praise you, like your work and your name in their circles, right? Which people do, right? If you love a certain type of coffee, you love a certain type of sparkling water. Hey, have you had this? It's <laughs> so good. You should try it. The only way that somebody does that is if it brought value to them, right? So providing good service needs to not be about designing the most beautiful thing. It needs to be about solving their problem. So I would, I would encourage people to stop thinking about the visuals for a second and focus more on how do I find out what this person needs are, right? And if you don't know how to do this, I'm sure listen, listen to this podcast a whole bunch more, watch a bunch of Chris Doe stuff in the future talking about value-based pricing because the days of just designing you a pretty website in WordPress because you want one are dead. Those are done and they're never coming back. And if you try to do it, you're going to constantly be rolling over with clients that are pissed off at you and don't want anything to do with you ever again. But if we can start asking them more targeted business questions, right? How much money are you making this quarter? How much money do you want to increase that, like your, that revenue, right? How many leads do you have? What kind of metrics? How can we gauge these metrics of success? We start asking those types of business type questions to the crux of the issue. And we can start to address how to offer them value because somebody might come to you and say, I need a new website. We're not getting enough sales. And I might ask a lot of questions and actually come to the conclusion you don't need a new website. You need copywriting and you need a marketing strategy. And I can help you through my network of associates. We can help you do that. If that works out well for them, guaranteed they're going to come back to me. Guaranteed they're going to come back as a repeat client. And they're going to say to their friends or people in their circle, oh my gosh, I just got done working with such and such person. And the value that I got of this was amazing. You should have some of this. You should come find this too. So to me, those are the two things. Clarity, which is targeting and you know focusing. And the other one would be focus on your service and make it value-based and treat them like gold. Hmm. Jesse, this was an amazing conversation, man. Thank you for, for the nuggets. Uh, very, very juicy, very crispy indeed. I think, uh, I think Wendy's would be jealous actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, maybe, maybe we can just wrap up on, uh, on a quick question and that is uh, where can people find you and anything Anything to plug, anything to promote that you recommend, you know, some courses or community, uh, sure. social, whatever. Yeah, I'm releasing a ton of courses right now. I just got done releasing uh, like a short you know, UI and UX design. So if you're like, you're coming into it and you don't know anything about it, transitioning maybe from a different type of design, like graphic design, be a great course. You can find it on my website, jessieshowalter.com. Of course, I have YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jesse Showalter. And I'm actually, um, I'm launching a, what I'm calling a freelance kickstart. It's going to be a one week boot camp with live sessions throughout the week, as well as homework assignments. Uh, so you have a little kind of like tidbit with me each day for five days. Um, then at the end of it, you have hopefully kind of revitalized or kind of redirected yourself on what you want to do with your freelance business. I'm doing kind of pre signups and, uh, for people there on my website as well. So you just go to jessieshowalter.com slash courses. Amazing. Jesse, thank you so much, man. This was fantastic. I look forward to getting it live and seeing what people think. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it, man. Awesome, man.